You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for his glory. So good last week uh, to be at the launch of Coventry North. Uh, as we enter this season of mul- multiplication, you know, we're so grateful to many of you uh, here at Central, stepping up into different positions, serving, leading, praying, playing such an active part in us birthing this new site. So thank you. Thank you. Well done, everybody. I also understand that in my absence at Central site last week, a Martin preached about birthing. Giving birth. You know, it's always wise for a husband to wait for his wife to be out of the room before speaking authoritatively about birthing, yeah? In all seriousness, it was a timely and an excellent message, but I was, uh, I did find that interesting. Anyway, we're leaning into the Lord in this season, uh, just continuing to let Him lead us into all that He's got as we get this site established and push on into all that he is on with. It's such a privilege to be part of what he is doing. Well, this week, next week in our sermons, uh, we have a little two-part series called Together. And we're exploring the New Testament invitation into Christ-centered community to be together. And so we're going to turn straight to the scriptures. We're going to read some verses today from Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verses 19 to 25. I think they're going to come up. On the screen, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for your uh, patience with me. Now, these verses there from Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who they are for sure, but it was probably written for a Jewish audience, given how much is in there about Jewish rituals and ceremonies. And the opening chapters, they're all really pointing to the fact that Jesus is better, better than angels, better than Moses, better than any priest, and his sacrifice is better than any other sacrifice. And in fact, just before the verses we've read today, verse 14, it says, For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's what we've celebrated this morning as we come to the table. One sacrifice making perfect forever. And this is what's come before the therefore at the start of the verses we read today. Hebrews pointing to Jesus, supreme in his person, supreme in his sacrifice, And then the latter chapters of the book are encouraging the believers to keep going, to not give up, to persevere. 
They had clearly experienced hardship, opposition, insults, persecution, and suffering. And for the writer, it wasn't a given that they would all keep going. He couldn't assume that they were going to stay with the faith. It wasn't a given that when Christ returned, this day that was approaching, that they would all be there, found in him. And so the writer is urging these brothers and sisters to focus on Jesus, to enter into all that has been made available to them in Jesus, to draw near, to enter into the place of intimacy that's been opened up, to hold on, to keep standing, to persevere, and to make it to the finish line. But as part of this exhortation, the writer is not just speaking to them as individuals who need to prioritize their own personal engagement with Jesus. He's also saying, let's consider how we may spur one another on, not giving up meeting together. Let us encourage one another. You see, there's something in this call to persevere to the finish line, to the approaching day, in which we have a role to play together. Now, some of you may be old enough to remember a remarkable picture from the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Derek Redmond was a sprinter for Great Britain. He'd had a number of injuries. He'd had one four months before the games, but was recovering. And he was pursuing a medal in Barcelona in the 400 meters. He started off well. He notched the fastest time in the prelims. He won his quarterfinal heat. But in, and in the semi-final, he charged out the blocks, looking strong, doing great, but shortly after the race's halfway mark, suddenly grimaced in pain, grabbed the back of his right, right thigh and crumpled onto the track in pain with a torn hamstring. The rest of the pack sprinted on. Alone on the track, Redmond stood back up and began hopping on his left foot, careful to remain in his lane, determined to finish the race. The crowd stood up, cheering as he limped towards the finish line. And then a figure emerged along, from alongside the track, Redmond's dad, Jim. Now, you know, you're not just allowed on the tracks. There were officials trying to stop him, but he like waved them off, shoved them off to get to his son. And he put his arm around his waist and Derek turned and wept on his father's shoulder. And then together, father and son walked the final meters of the race. The winner now, of course, long decided. The Olympic Committee has called that finish one of the most inspirational moments in Olympic history. And in an interview uh, with the BBC in 2012 with Derek, when asked what his dad was saying to him, he said, he was telling me I had nothing to prove, that I didn't need to do this, but I told him I was going to finish. And he said, we'll finish together, which indeed they did. I think we've got a picture of them at the finish line. That's the last uh, image that we've got. We'll finish together. And if you want a title for this morning's message, that's it. We'll finish together. You see, this emphasis on together, it can get a little bit lost for us because we come to this initial understanding of what Jesus has done for us, which the writer of Hebrews outlines here, which we've celebrated this morning, that through the blood of Jesus, we can now enter the most holy place. The way has been opened up for us. Our guilt, every obstruction removed. And so we understand rightly that for each one of us, our personal standing as an individual before God is altogether different in Jesus. I am changed. 
but to the writer in the Hebrews, who begins this little run of verses by addressing them as brothers and sisters. He wants them to understand that they've been invited into something that is not so much a framework of faith, but a family. Brothers and sisters. He's not just brought us into the most holy place, but we've been brought into God's family. We're not just changed positionally, but relationally. We are brothers and sisters. I grew up in a family, one of five siblings. In the place where I was, that was a pretty big family. I'm sure there's some, anyone got more than uh, four siblings? Yeah, you see, I, I thought it was a big family, but it's not a big family. Many of you with more. But the truth is we've now been brought into God's family and look around the room. This is a big family. And this is just part of it. I'm part of a big family and so are you. And some of us are more pleased to receive this news than others. Of course, there are extroverts among us. Those of us who struggle to be in a room by ourselves for more than 10 minutes without getting twitchy. Those of us who need to tell someone what's happened for the experience to be complete. Any self-confessed extroverts here? Three, it's all right, I'm not having a go at you. You can admit to being an extrovert. It's good, we need extroverts. And of course, there's then introverts among us, those of us who'd really rather text than make that phone call. Why do phone calls feel scary? Those extroverts among us who are so happy with our own company and our own thoughts of which there seems to be no end, and those who prefer connecting one-to-one. -one. Any self-confessed introverts here, you're all so welcome. I'm somewhere on the line between the two. I think they're both great. I'm aware the extroverts may be delighted to have a big family. So many more people to interact with, so many more contacts, so many more conversations. But the reality is, however we're wired, we're both made in God's image. We all need others. We may have preferences to how that engagement happens, but we all need one another. We probably all have some experience that informs us that families are rarely straightforward. If you have a straightforward family, I'd love to hear how that worked out. You see, families can be an incredible blessing, but they often have complexity because families are about people and people are complex. But it's into a family that we've been invited in Jesus Christ. Seeking to stand strong in him as this day is approaching. And the writer to the Hebrews is reminding them as he reminds us today that we'll finish together. And we need one another. We can't assume that we'll get to the finish line alone. And today you may think, no, I'm strong. I'm okay. But maybe there's someone else who needs your strength. Tomorrow, perhaps, you'll need some help. None of us are beyond needing others. So the writer to Hebrews is giving us a little detail as to what it needs to look like. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Not giving up meeting together. Encouraging one another. The reality of what these verses are pointing to is it isn't just up to me to get me to the finish line. It's not just up to you to get you to the finish line. Of course, nobody else can take our personal responsibility for the choices that we make. That sits firmly with us. You've been given free will. You've been given responsibility to make your own choices. And we cannot control the choices others make, however frustrating that can be and often is. But the writers of the Hebrews is reminding them they each have a role to play to help others to keep going. A part to play to ensure that we'll finish together. And so it's for all of us to consider 
how we may spur one another on, how we might encourage one another, how we might not give up meeting together. He says, spur one another, encourage one another. You know, the reality is there are many one another statements in the New Testament. I think the apostles either anticipated or just experienced all the potential problems in this new family and knew they needed to speak into it and write into it and help the family be how they needed to be to one another. And in just a moment, we'll take a look at some of these one another's in the New Testament. But before we go there, can I just focus in on the fact that you're the one? You're the one. I don't know if anyone's told you that before, but you're the one. We can so easily read the one and others of the New Testament and skim over them. But perhaps we might read them differently if we first stop and realize you're the one. I'm the one. Who is the another that we're being nudged towards? Who is the another that we're being provoked to help because you're the one? So when we read these verses in Hebrews, you're the one called to spur another on. You're the one called to encourage another. And if we look further into the New Testament, we could add some others. Here's some of the other one another's of the New Testament. John 15 says, love one another. Romans 12, be devoted to one another. Romans 14, don't judge one another. Romans 14, build up one another. Romans 15, accept one another. Ephesians 4, be kind to one another. The world would be so much better if there was a bit more kindness, wouldn't it? Be kind to one another. Philippians 2, regard one another as more important. Colossians 3, don't lie to one another. And Colossians 3, bear with and forgive one another. 1 Thessalonians, comfort one another and encourage one another. 1 Peter 4, be hospitable to one another. Now, many of these, they get repeated more than one time. I've taken out the repetitions because I feel that's probably enough for us to be going on with. I'm the one. You're the one. That means there's a call for you to love another, for you to be devoted to another, for you not to judge another, for you to build another up, to accept another, to be kind to another, to regard another as more important, to bear with and to forgive another. You comfort another. You encourage another. You be hospitable to another. You're the one. I'm the one. We're called to help each other in all these different ways. And I know we can't necessarily do all of those things, but we could consider which of these could I move forward in this week? Which could I attend to? What do these look like in practice? I sat down this week just to consider who has taught me what these things look like in my life. There was a lady at church in Nottingham, a lady called Pat. She actually joined us at our last encounter evening. And she showed me what it meant to be kind to one another. When I was pregnant with Anna Grace, my third pregnancy, I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Six months into the pregnancy, she offered to cook a meal for our family once every week for the rest of my pregnancy. And she cooked whatever she was cooking for her family. She cooked enough for us and she brought it to church and gave it to Martin every Wednesday. Be kind to one another. Who knows that's kind? 
A little while later, a young single medic friend of mine helped me to learn hospitality. She'd experienced several periods of debilitating depression. And in one of these periods, she sent a little note to some of us in the community that she was part of. And she outlined some practical ways of things we could do to help her. You know, we were all around thinking, I don't know how to help her, but she helped us by spelling it out. One of those was having her over for food once a week because it was difficult for her to cook and to eat properly, and that didn't help the whole thing. And so once a week, she'd join me and the three children. Martin would often still be at work, but we were able to eat together and learn hospitality and what it was to journey through that season together, sharing our home and our family. And the truth is we were all blessed by the journey of those months. Be hospitable to one another. Some of the greatest kindness I remember was from two friends I was in a prayer triplet with as a student. Some things took place when I was a student that just left me uh, in a very difficult season and, and it was emotionally exhausting. And I remember meeting to pray with them, so good to have people to pray with in those seasons. But I was so tired, I fell asleep during the time of prayer. But I woke up to hear them praying over me and for me, gently, kindly. Be kind to one another. Be devoted to one another. Before I had children, I was in a life group. We were an eclectic mix of people, as life groups can often be. But we were devoted to one another. Everyone had busy lives, but everyone committed to be there on a Thursday evening, which meant we were able to really get to know one another and journey together and encourage one another. There was a particular grace in that group to pray for each other in the life circumstances that were going on. We saw regular answers to prayer. In fact, people used to come to faith and come into that group and think, I know if we pray in this group for something to shift, it will shift. Because so often that happened as we were devoted to one another and made sure we showed up. It's so easy, isn't it, if one person stops showing up for someone else to think, oh, I'll miss this week. But when everyone is devoted, it holds together. There's, of course, been many times and opportunities to learn to bear with others and to forgive others. I've had many opportunities to express that and others have needed to forgive me too. One stands out for me. I've been particularly and profoundly hurt by someone's actions, someone in the church. It had what they'd done had significant implications for me. And we were in a large church, and for a time I was able to keep my distance from them. And then the Holy Spirit challenged me after a little while that I needed to forgive. And the truth was I'd processed some things, but I needed some help from God. And I began to ask him to help me, to help me to relinquish what I was holding Onto. And a real short time later, I bumped into this person in a park unexpectedly and was overwhelmed with a feeling for them that I could only describe as love. And I felt indescribably pleased to see them. And I, it shocked me because I knew that hadn't been what had been in my heart to them. This isn't what I've experienced every time I've forgiven someone, but on this occasion, God did something extraordinary in my heart. Truth is, I don't always know how to forgive, but he does. And I found that if I'll open my heart and just try to let go of what I've been holding on to, of bad feeling that I carry towards someone, he can change my heart. I keep learning. Holy Spirit keeps teaching me and helping me to bear with one another, forgive one another. Of course, we're also encouraged to comfort one another. 
comforting, can look very different, prayer, words, actions. I remember during the pandemic, there was a little baby boy born to a family in the church. And he was born very preterm and had several complications. He was in neonatal intensive care. And we put out some uh, requests to prayer to the CLM prayer army. And they began to pray. But one of the members of the prayer army not only prayed, but got in touch with me and said, I've knitted some tiny clothes for the baby. Do you know how I can get them to the family? She didn't know the family. She'd never met the family wanted to reach out to comfort, to do something of practical help. The baby made it through. He's now a fine little boy in the church. But what a display of comfort and kindness in a season when we couldn't just go and hug someone to comfort them. So many people have taught me so much. I've seen and experienced so many of the one and others being at work. They've blessed me and changed me when I've been on both the giving and the receiving side of them. See, the one and others, they're part of how God works in us to make us more like him. That's why life groups and settings where we experience community with Jesus at the center are just so important for our growth. Places where we can be the one and we can be the other. We can give and we can receive. You see, we grow in groups. The one and others, they're part of how we'll finish together, of how we'll not stop meeting together. And perhaps that's why I'm still here, is because of those one and others that I've seen, that I've experienced, that I've been blessed and changed by. I don't know if you've stopped to wonder why people stop meeting together. Why do people stop coming to church? I don't mean those who move away or those who find another church that's a better fit. I don't mean those who've gone to be part of CLM North. We think that's a good move, just to clarify. These are all good. I mean, those who are not here, those who are not worshiping anymore, those who are not meeting with others, those who are not in a community with Jesus at the center, why do they stop? Have you thought about that? You see, sometimes people, they just drift. They never chose to stop coming, they just drifted. They got busy, they got distracted, they missed one and they thought, I'll join online instead. They missed another and they did online later. Then they missed a third and they didn't do online at all. And then six weeks passed and they hadn't been in church. They didn't choose to stop coming, they just got out of the habit. They drifted. Where will they be found on the day? Will they finish? See, they need encouraging to come back. They need one to encourage another, to spur one another to come, to be in, to be involved. So we'll finish together. Sometimes people stop because they have messed up in some way. And they feel shame and they think it'll be worse if they come into church. They think if I feel this ashamed out of church, think what I'll feel like in church. Of course, it's not quite like that, but the enemy will always try to do that when we make our worst choices, not our best choices. He'll try to keep us isolated. He'll try to make us feel that the shame is too much for us to go back. And it's a lie from the pit to keep you isolated and feeling like you can't enter fully in. Of course, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins 
and purifiers from all unrighteousness. But nevertheless, people stop coming because they don't always make their best choices. They make choices they regret and they get stuck in shame. They need one to encourage them to come back. They need one to remind them of the forgiveness of Jesus. They need one to not judge them, to accept them, and to draw them back in so that we'll finish together. And then, of course, some people stop meeting together because they get hurt. They come to church, but they have a bad experience or a clumsy interaction with someone. Someone was rude or careless with them or maybe worse, and it hurt, and so they stop coming. Now, I know you're all incredulous that this could ever happen in a church because you've only ever experienced grace, kindness, and loveliness from the people at church. Is this not right? Good. I think I have an amen. Or perhaps we all know the reality that we're all real people. We're all flawed. And so we've all probably had an experience in church that was less than perfection. You know, there's all kinds of ways in which all of us can, if we're not careful, hurt someone else. And I wonder if I might just speak into one area of this and just say, if there's a married couple in the church that don't have a child and they haven't talked to you about it, that's because they don't want to talk to you about it. Please don't assume that they want to talk to you about it. And even if the Lord has put them on your heart to pray for them, if they haven't talked to you about it, please don't talk to them about it. It's often an excruciatingly painful journey and the clumsiness of our interactions sometimes can be deeply painful. If the Lord's put them on your heart, then pray for them. Pray for them daily, fast for them. And the day will come when you can rejoice with them and talk with them. But sometimes people find it hard to come to church because they don't know if someone's going to be insensitive and push on something deeply painful for them. It's one example. I could give more, but I won't. I know generally we're a loving people who are seeking to encourage, but we all have our moments, don't we? And this matters because the writer to the Hebrews is warning us that not everyone will make it to the finish line. It's only together that will finish. And there's all these, these three meetings, reasons why people stop meeting together. They're all helped if we are the one. Of course, I know we want to think that the past is the one, but look around. This family's too big for that to be enough. We can think maybe the life group leaders are the one. And for sure, the life group leaders do an amazing job at CLM, journeying with others, encouraging, comforting, being hospitable, and more. But not everyone is in a life group. And if you're not, we encourage you to sign up and get in one. But we're all the one. We're all needed to be involved in the one another's. And especially in this season, as we multiply and grow, we need to multiply ones. Ones who are active in outworking the one another's. So friends, if you haven't seen someone at church for a little while, please don't assume they've gone to North. No, this is a real thing. Because we can think, oh, they must have gone to CLM North. If you haven't seen someone for a while, please just pick up the phone if you're an extrovert, or text them if you're an introvert, and just find out, say, are you okay? Haven't seen you for a while, didn't know if you were part of Northside. And we still like you if you are. <laughs> only kidding, only kidding. 
call them, check in on them. If someone doesn't come to life group, get in touch with them. Don't leave it to the life group leader. Be the one. You know, as part of the Invited series just over a year ago, as we celebrated our diversity and the different cultures and heritage and experiences that are present in this beautiful congregation, we threw out a challenge to dine at mine, seeking to stir up hospitality, which was all but trampled to death by COVID. So we've all, we forgot how to have people in our homes, didn't we? And maybe some of you, you've done well at getting back into that habit. I know I have found it difficult, and I wonder if we just need to go again and think, okay, how do I stir up this again? to be the one who is hospitable to another. Who could you invite? Who could you cook for? Sarah, I wonder if you could help me. If in this season we can multiply the ones who are active in outworking the one another's of the New Testament, then we'll finish together. We have a chance that we'll finish together. And I wonder then, which of the one another's are you being prompted about this morning? Who is the Lord putting on your heart this morning? Or maybe someone he's already put on your heart, but you haven't quite actioned it yet. Perhaps it's someone who's in danger of giving up meeting together. And it matters. The one another's matter because they keep us together and we'll finish together. And we don't want anyone to be lost en route. Last week, I was just looking through an old journal. I found a piece of paper, and on it were some notes uh, from a time when David Sherman had been speaking, our, our previous pastor. And they were all they were like unrelated things, but just words of wisdom. And I'd put in capitals, it's like, when someone is going through the fire, in capitals, you must pray for them. You know, the fire, it can be an attack of the enemy or challenging circumstances of life, or the refining of God, but it's fire. Said you've got to pray for them. Don't just assume they're going to come through. Pray for them. We need one another. We'll finish together. Not long before we moved to Coventry, I was in a very challenging season. God seemed to be keeping me in a place of waiting on some things and in a place of restriction for an inordinately long time. And he also seemed to have gone quiet and didn't seem to be saying much to me. And then some external pressures came additionally onto that that made it personally painful and isolating. And I didn't feel it was something that I could really speak about honorably to others. And so I was in this season of just trying to lean on Jesus. And as I look back now, I know the Lord was doing a deep work in me that I'm grateful for. A work of dying to self, a work of letting go of some dreams and promises that I thought he'd spoken. And it felt like a kind of dying in that season. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're in one of those seasons. One day in that season, I went to church. I went to get a cup of tea afterwards. There were two men serving uh, refreshments. Andy, a friend of mine, and Mike, who was a prayer. And Mike handed me a cup of tea and he said, are you okay? I had a dream about you last night. He said, and in the dream, you were suffocating. And I wasn't sure if you were going to make it through. And he said, then I woke up and I thought, was that God? Did I make that up? He thought, I, I thought, I better get up and pray in case it was real. And as he spoke, I just quietly wept because it resonated so profoundly in the midst of a difficult season. And his words came as comfort that one was showing to another 
And through it, I knew that God saw, that God knew, that God was at work, and that God was committed to me coming through it, and He was going to bring me through it. And things didn't immediately change, but it encouraged and comforted and strengthened me to bring me through. It kept me in the race. I needed another. So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, you are the one. Let's make sure that we do what we can for another to make it to the finish line. And all the more as we see the day approaching to make sure we finish together. In a moment, we're gonna worship, fix our eyes on Jesus and that day. But I wonder if we can stand to our feet and pray. I know it's a challenging word and a challenging message. But let's open our hearts to the Lord. Father, we wanna say thank you. We thank you today for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, who shows us what it is to be the one for another. We thank you for the holy place opened up. We thank you for a part to play in your family. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray today, Lord, would you help us to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess And would you help us to make it to the finish line and to be found on that day in Jesus Christ. And please will you help us to see the others and the unothers around us. Help us to be active in spurring them on. Help us to be active in encouraging them so that we'll finish together, so that we'll be found in you, so that we will finish together. We ask this, Jesus, in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen.